good morning. I'm going to invite you to stand as we sing together. Your love is amazing, steady and unchanging. Your love is a mountain, firm beneath my feet. Your love is a mystery, how you gently lift me. When I am surrounded, your love carries me. to you. It is so good to see you here this morning. Thank you so much for being here. I hope that you had a wonderful week and have had a wonderful weekend thus far. We've had some beautiful, beautiful weather these past couple of days. I hope you've been able to get out and enjoy it uh, as we prepare for those hot summer days that will be coming soon. Uh, just a couple things I want to bring to your attention. I hope that you picked up a bulletin or were handed one on the way in this morning. Uh, all of the announcements there are very important to you. Uh, just a couple I want to call your attention to, one of them being that uh, two weeks from today, uh, we're going to do a community outreach together. As many of you as we as will participate, we want you to. Uh, we're going to gather here around 2.45. We're going to try to leave by 3 o'clock. We're going to 
divide up into some groups. We're going to go out into some of the local communities and prayer walk through those communities. We do have some information about our church, vacation Bible school, things of that nature that we want to be able to place on mailboxes, letting people know that we're here, we love them, we care about them, and that we have prayed uh, through their community. So that's coming up in a couple of weeks, and uh, I hope that you'll participate in that. Uh, the other thing is, uh, tomorrow night we're going to try something new. We, I don't know that we've done this before, uh, but we're, we're going to have a family night out at one of the local restaurants tomorrow night, uh, starting at 6.30 over at Mi Fuente. That's a Mexican restaurant just right down the road here on uh, Highway 200. And we're going to do it for a couple of reasons because I think it's, it's important to know why we're doing these things. One of them is because there's some folks that you may want to invite uh, to get to know the people in our church. They're not going to come with you to a church-sponsored dinner in our fellowship hall, but they'll go to a Mexican restaurant with you. Uh, you can invite them to come and be your guest. And so we're going to meet over there at 630 uh, and also, it's an opportunity to support a local business and let them know that First Baptist Church is, uh, is supportive of them. Now, here's where we need your help. We've got to kind of give them an idea of how many people are coming so they can make sure they have enough wait staff and cook staff, things like that. So if you are planning to join us tomorrow night at 6.30 at Mi Fuente Restaurant, if you will, please, there's a sign-up sheet in the, in the foyer. If you'll just kind of jot your name down and how many people you're expecting to come. Uh, that way we can give them a heads up and they'll be prepared for us when we show up tomorrow night. So uh, I hope you'll participate in that. And if you don't like Mexican food, that's okay. Not, that's not for everybody. Uh, it, you may just want to come and, and fellowship with us. And that's okay too if you choose to do that. We'd love for you to be there. Uh, and last but not least, we did start last Sunday with a new Spanish-speaking work here in our church uh, this Sunday, today, they're going to be meeting at 1.30. Last week, it was at 3. It's going to be at 1.30 in this room. And we need your help getting the word out about this new ministry. We have ordered some yard signs that we're going to be uh, putting out and having available. But until then, uh, Dr. Gabriel has uh, put together, him and his, his uh, wife and Dr. Jose and his wife, have put together these little cards of inv inviting people. Uh, letting them know where the worship service is, uh, letting them know what time it is, things of that nature. So if you work with or have some uh, folks in your community where you live that are Spanish-speaking, please pick some of these up on the way out. They're, they're going to be out on the table in the front foyer. Pick these up, and as you make your way through this week, uh, invite them. Just hand it to them and let them know that there's this new Spanish-speaking um, work that started that is a, a Bible-believing, Bible-preaching, uh, God-honoring uh, ministry, and that we would like for them to, uh, to be a part of it. So these invitation cards are going to be out in the front foyer for you whenever you get ready to leave today. We can do that. That's a good suggestion. Please help us get the word out. I appreciate that. Let's take just a moment to pray together. Lord, it's always an honor and a privilege to be able to come into a house of worship, to, to gather with a group of people, maybe some we know, some we don't, but just to be able to gather together 
for the purpose of proclaiming the name of Jesus Christ. We thank you, God, that you are the creator of all things and that even in these last few days we've seen your beauty and the nature around us and we thank you for that. And Lord, today we come to give you glory and to give you thanks for all that you have done for us and all that you have provided for us. You are the one who said, let there be and there was. You are the one who formed us in your image, created us in in your image so that we could know you and worship you. And Lord, it is our desire that today as we have gathered in this room that regardless of what may be going on in our life at this very moment, that for this these few moments that we're going to be able to join our hearts with those around us and proclaim the good God that you are and be able to exalt your name and just to to bask in your presence and to thank you for all that you do. Lord, we love you. We praise you. We need you today. We ask you, Lord, to impermeate this place with your power and with your presence. We pray that the Holy Spirit of God would fall fresh upon this place that every need of every heart would be met here today, and that in doing so, once again, your name will be glorified in us. Lord, we love you, we praise you, we thank you for who you are, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Sorry about that. Uh, one quick thing I want to say is uh, it was on this day eight years ago. There was a 10-pound, 3-ounce baby that was born at 501, and she made me a daddy. I love you, Lila. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for today and for the children in this church. We're just reminded that we are your children, and we thank you for for choosing us, for adopting us into your family, Lord. And God, we just pray that with everything going on with the children's ministry and as we're going through changes and transitions, uh, that your hand would just be upon us and that you would bless the person who is going to be chosen to lead us. And as we continue this service, we pray that you would be with Pastor Tommy and bless the tithes and offerings we're about to receive. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, thank you for your your good singing this morning. Appreciate that so much. And yeah, we're kind of we're kind of biased in our in our home when it comes to our grandbabies. We think they're the best, and we're certainly happy to have the one that made me a grandfather. Man, that's pretty cool having her birthday today. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in the book of Micah? Micah chapter number two. Micah chapter number two. We started last week um, taking a look at this uh, unique prophet uh, that God raised up, and his purpose was to cry out uh, against the wickedness of the northern kingdom, uh, which was uh, this capital city was Samaria but also to warn the capital of the southern kingdom of Israel, which uh, was Jerusalem, because they too were starting to follow suit in their rebellion against God. And, and the, the very gist of the book of Micah is that God is faithful. He's faithful in everything he does. Now, when we think of that, that reality that God is faithful, we always think, just in the positive side of things. Yes, God is faithful in His mercy. He's faithful in His grace. He's faithful in His love. But He's also faithful in His holiness. He's faithful in His uh, ju- in being just. He's faithful in His wrath. And so we're looking that God is faithful. And Micah is trying to, to warn these these religious leaders warn these political leaders that God is faithful to reward their repentance, but God is also going to be faithful to judge their rebellion. So today, today we're going to be looking at chapter 2, verses 6 through 11, and we want to, we want to look at the, the presence of convenient truth that we find being addressed here in these verses. Micah chapter 2, beginning in verse number 6, going down through verse number 11. Micah is prophesying, and here's what he says. Do not speak out, so they speak out. But if they do not speak out concerning these things, reproaches will not be turned back. It is being said, O house of Jacob, is the Spirit of the Lord impatient? Are these his doings? Do not my words do good to the one walking uprightly? Recently my people have arisen as an enemy. You strip the robe off the garment from the unsuspecting pastor, passerby, from those returning from war. The women of my people you evict, each one from her pleasant house. From her children you take my splendor forever. Arise and go, for this is no place of rest, because of the uncleanness that brings out destruction, a painful destruction. If a man walking after wind and falsehood had told lies and said, I will speak out to you concerning wine and liquor, he would be a spokesman to this people. Let's pray. Our Father, again, thank you for the honor and privilege of being in this house of worship. We thank you that you are our good, good Father. Lord, at the, very, at the very core of your character, 
you show us, you teach us, you reveal to us that you are good and that we can trust you because you are always going to be faithful to be good. And Lord, we pray that today as we go through our time together that you open our hearts up, open our minds up, give us ears that will hear the truth of your word. And we know, Lord, that just as surely as the Word of God goes forth as that seed that is scattered upon the earth, that the enemy always is waiting to come along behind and snatch the truth away, to snatch the Word away so that it cannot take root and achieve its purpose. So, Lord, we we pray that today our hearts will be fertile soil, that as the seed of your word and the seed of your truth falls upon our heart today, that it will find purchase there and it will flourish within us. Give us ears to hear what the Spirit has to say. Is our prayer in the precious name of Jesus, the risen one. Amen. Biblical history is riddled with accounts of false prophets. It wasn't very hard at any point in, in biblical history to find at some point a prophet that was preaching or proclaiming a message other than the truth of God's Word. Now, here's the issue. These, these men often looked spiritual. They looked the part and even most of the time they could sound spiritual. They could sound convincing and they could deceive people with their their knowledge of the truth, but they would bend it and they would they would water it down and they would somehow alter it to fit a false purpose. But the messages they proclaimed were so far from the truth, and they were not a message from God. Now, I debated on whether to do this or not, but I, it, after doing some, some research and listening to some audio, I wanted to share with you just some things that we find even in today's society that are counter to the truth. If you'll show that first si- slide there for me, please. Well, next one. Sorry, didn't define convenient truth. Here, here's, a, here's one I want you to see. A popular TV preacher said, I'm not going to tell people that they have to have Jesus in their lives to be saved. Now, the truth is, what you read there in John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said, I am the way and I am the truth and I am the life and no man can come to the Father unless he come by me. He must come by me. So yes, you do have to have Jesus in your life in order to be saved. There's another one, if you wouldn't mind bringing it up. The next one. This this is one that was recently uh, in a, a sermon preached by this particular pastor that said, The process of discipleship is not God changing you into something else. It's Him revealing who you've been all along. The problem with that is it's counter to, doesn't that sound good? 
Doesn't that sound pleasant? But here's the truth. The Bible says if any man is in Christ, he's a new creature. That he's a new creation. That the old things have to pass away and the new things have to come. God's not trying to make us a better version of who we are. He's trying to transform us and change us into the image of Jesus Christ. And we can't be the same uh, we can't be the same person if we've truly encountered the Lord Jesus and we're allowing Him by the power of the Holy Spirit to change us. So that is convenient truth. If you will, bring that, that definition of convenient truth back up for me, please. Here's what convenient truth is. Convenient truth is the truth that deceivers seek. It's the truth that people seek when they want to be right, but they suspect that they are wrong. And in relation to time, convenient truth is about now and worries very little about the past or the future. In other words, what what convenient truth says, I want you to affirm me as I am, where I am right now. Don't warn me of a coming judgment. Don't tell me of a past sin. Tell me how good I am now. Tell me, tell me that God's okay with me right now. In church life, many will refer to convenient truth as smooth theology. And unfortunately, if you're looking for convenient truth or smooth theology, there are plenty to choose from that are there that will tell you what you want to hear. It's, it's, it's no reason why many of these who are, who are preaching a convenient truth can grow some of the largest churches in America. Because people want to hear that I'm okay, you're okay, and it's okay. But the Bible says, you're a sinner, I'm a sinner, we're a sinner, and we need God. That's what the Bible says. The Bible tells us, points us to one who is holy and just and true and tells us that that the God who created us and the Savior that came to save us, they're our only hope. My hope is not found in me. It's not found in what I can produce. It's not found in any goodness that I can manufacture. My only hope is in Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's the truth of the gospel. But for many, taking a little bit of truth and cloaking it with convenience and with with a popular message, they can present something that is appealing to the masses. There's a reason why when Jesus, the closer he came to the cross, the smaller the group became that followed him. As long as he was in the countryside and feeding the masses, and as long as he was in the countryside uh, preaching and teaching and feeding people and healing people, people wanted to be around that. But the minute he started marching toward the cross and proclaiming that he was the only way to God, that he's the way, the truth, and the life, and no man could get there unless they come by him, and that he had to die for the sins of the world, suddenly the masses disappeared. Convenient truth. As we look at this passage, what's taking place is that the leaders in Samaria, both business leaders and political leaders, 
And those in Judah, both business leaders and political leaders, were seeking out prophets who would preach to them a convenient truth and a smooth theology. They understood, they knew that they were living contrary to the will of God. And so in order to keep from being convicted of their sins, in order to keep from being confronted by their sins, they sought out men whom they could pay enough money to tell them what they wanted to hear. And that's what's taking place here. These paid false prophets uh, were paid handsomely to proclaim a false message so that no one would see a need for the change in the status quo. If, if, if they could just find these false prophets and pay them enough to stand up and tell everybody, God's okay with the way you are and what you're doing. God's all right with your wicked deeds. He's okay with your exploitation. He's okay with your rebellion. If they could just find those false prophets and pay them enough. In our passage today, we are going to notice that the very culture of Samaria is tilted to the advantage of the rich and the greedy, and they intended in every way to keep it just like that. So here's one of the things I want to do. I want to give us two grave dangers that are associated with convenient truth. The first one is found there in verses 6 through 8. We opened up the verses that we read together, and, and it's Micah literally proclaiming, I'm saying to these false prophets, don't, don't do this. Don't speak out. And their response is to speak out even more and to speak out even louder. You see, in church life, as we, as if we're not, if we're not careful, we will, we will try to, we'll try to gravitate toward those who speak a message that, that soothes us and a message that confirms us. The influential business and political leaders question Micah's message. Pending judgment, Micah is proclaiming that God is not pleased that God is going to judge Samaria, and, and if Jerusalem doesn't repent, God's going to judge Jerusalem. But their argument was really simple. Here's the way they argued, and you see it in our passage. They say, look how blessed we are. Look how blessed we are. That must be a sign of God's stamp of approval on what we're doing. And how we're doing. Look at how blessed we are. But let's not forget who is saying this. It's not the poor. It's not the evicted. It's not the hungry. It's not the exploited that's saying this. It's the rich and the wealthy. Those who have power and influence. And those who are doing the exploiting. Those who are doing the oppressing. Are saying then God must be okay with this. Because look how much money I made last year. Let me show you my bank statement. I want you to see just... How, how, how much I've been able to profit over the past year. Surely, God must be okay with the way I'm living. Because look how He has blessed me. And Micah begins by saying to these false prophets, if you don't stop speaking falsities, they're never going to repent of their sins. Folks, let me say, God, it's not that God... God wants everybody to be poor and God wants everybody to have nothing. But here's the thing about riches and wealth. God gives it to those who will honor him with it. 
God wants anything that he places in your hand to be something that you steward for his glory and for his benefit. God, will, God blesses those who honor him with the things that he bestows upon them, those who bring glory to his name. Micah proclaims that repentance is never going to come. And judgment is never going to be avoided if these people continue to listen to the false prophets. If these false prophets are continued to allow to proclaim this convenient truth, then the people who are violating God's law will never repent. They'll never turn away from the, from the evil that they're perpetrating. They'll never turn away from their sin. And while this message was not popular, it was necessary. Here again, we see the faithfulness of God. God is crying out to those who are living and walking in sin, and he's saying to them, don't listen to the falsities. Listen to the truth of my word. Listen to the truth of what I'm telling you, that I love you. Yes, I will bless you. Yes, I will, I will, I will prosper you, but I will only do that when you are honoring me and serving me. Bottom line, these business leaders, these political leaders in Samaria, they just didn't like his message. They didn't want to hear that they were violating God's law. They didn't want to hear that they were breaking God's command. They didn't want to hear that they were exploiting God's people. So here's what they did. They went out and found some prophets that would tell them a message they did want to hear. That would tell them that, Everything's okay. God's good with the way you're living right now. God's okay with that. Yeah, you might be doing a little shady stuff under the table. Yeah, you might be doing some illegal stuff. But you know what? God understands and he's okay with that. These false prophets and the false prophets of the world, where we find them is questioning the word of God in in an attempt to give a convenient truth. They know that if you hear the Word of God and the truth of God, that the, the, the Holy Spirit of God will use it to convict us. And so they question the Word of God. After all, isn't that what Satan did with Adam and Eve in the garden? Isn't that what he did? He gave them a convenient truth. He gave them a, something that sounded a little bit more palatable. Something that sounded a little bit more affirming. When Satan approached and asked Eve what it was that God had told him, she told him truth. He said, if I eat of this fruit, I'm surely going to die. He told us that if we eat of this, we're going to die. That's the truth of God's word. That's the truth of what God wanted them to know. But then listen to the response that they got. Here's the convenient truth. You will surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes uh, will be open, and you're going to be like Him, knowing good and evil. Refuting the Word of God, arguing the Word of God, confronting the Word of God. That's what convenient truth does. Convenient truth says, is that really what God meant? Is that really what God meant? Don't you think there was an underlying motive here? Don't, don't, Don't you think there was something else going on that maybe he just didn't tell you? Isn't it possible that you could have misunderstood? Isn't it possible 
that what he really meant to say was this instead. That's what convenient truth does. It takes the word of God and says, is that really what God's word says? Is that really what God's word says? I know that Jesus said that he was the only way to heaven. I, I, I read that in the book, but is that really what he meant? Did he really mean that he was the only way to heaven? I mean, let's just think about that for just a second. Just think of all the other religions that are in the world. Think of all the, the people who faithfully serve in these religions. Think of all the people who, who are devoted in, to, to their particular gods. Are, you mean Jesus would really say something like that? Let's just, let's just think about that for a moment. They question God's word. Did God really say? Did God really mean? It's, it's interesting that in, even in church life in these years that God's allowed me to have the privilege and the opportunity to pastor, I've come across these, these certain situations where someone would stand on the Word of God and they'd say, well, you know, that God's Word says that this is right or God's Word says this is, this is forbidden. And they would stand on it until... Suddenly, something changed in their life where whatever God's Word said was against what they were doing. And then they would back up and they'd say, Well, I don't know that that's really what that passage is saying. I don't really, I don't know if that's really what it means. Did God really mean that when He said it that way? And they start pulling out all of these rationales and reasonings to try to explain away the Word of God. That's what convenient truth does. Convenient truth questions the Word of God. Beware of those who say, I know the Bible says that, but that's a danger sign right there. I know the Bible says that, but because now they're questioning the Word of God. Others may try to give you all the logical and rational reasons why God's Word cannot be true on a subject. They try to explain it away. God's judgment was looming large in Samaria's future. They were facing the Assyrian army. Sennacherib was about to come in there as the king of Assyria and level them to the ground. He was about to destroy everything that they had. And instead of hearing the word of God that said, repent and turn so that you can be saved from this wrath and this devastation. Instead of hearing that word, they had rather die with a convenient truth than repent because of the word of God. They had rather face the wrath of God. You know, that's what happens when we... Start trying to justify and rationalize our sin. Rationalizing the way that we're living. Listen to what Paul told young Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Paul told Timothy this. For the time will come when they will not tolerate sound doctrine. But wanting to have their ears tickled, they will accumulate for themselves teachers... In accordance with what? Their own desires. And they will turn their ears away from the truth and will turn aside to myths. They'll, they'll turn aside. This, there will come a time when people say the truth hurts too much. 
The truth rubs against my life. The truth says that I'm in the wrong. The truth says that, that I'm violating something that God has told me that I should not do. The truth says that God wants me to do something that I'm not doing. The truth hurts, and I don't like it, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to find someone that will give me a truth that makes me feel good. That's what convenient truth is. Folks, that's the reason I'm, 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 I'm sadly convinced that there's going to be so many people that uh, once the Lord returns and receives His church and raptures His church out of this world, I still think there's going to be churches that are filled on Sunday morning. And they're going to go on with business as usual because they're so, tired, they're so used to hearing a convenient truth. They don't even realize they're lost and they're going to hell from a church pew. Convenient truth is dangerous because it questions God's word. But there's a second reason why it's dangerous. And that's because it gives a false sense of security. He talks about that in verses 9, 10, and 11. He talks about them evicting these widow ladies from their homes, robbing the children of their, of their inheritance. He talks about the, 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 exploitation of the stranger among them it even talks about those who are who are of of meager means but yet serve that king faithfully being mistreated because just like today false prophets tend to preach a message of health wealth and prosperity if you'll just come to jesus you're going to be you, you're going to have the greatest life let me tell you what you're going to you're going to have more money than you ever had you're, you're gonna, your, your business is gonna be, do more, more business in the next year than it's ever done. You're gonna have no worries in your life. You're gonna, all your, all your, your family problems are gonna smooth out and just go away. And, and let me tell you, if you just come, if you just come, let me, ah, you're gonna have such a glorious life. And in the words of one of these teachers, you'll have your best life now. Can I tell you something? My best life isn't now. My best life waits me in eternity. Because for the lost person, this is as close to heaven as they're ever going to get is right now. But if you're a, a saved person, can I tell you something? This is as close to hell as you're ever going to get right now. But they want us to hear those soothing words. They, these false prophets were preaching that message of health, wealth, and prosperity, but only the wicked ones were experiencing those things. The poor widows were being evicted from their home. The visitors of the city were being exploited and overcharged for goods. Even those who defended were being taken advantage of. The rich became richer. The poor became poorer. And it wasn't their wealth that made them evil. It was how they were obtaining their wealth that made them evil. And being poor didn't mean that they were automatically, uh, that they were automatically just. It just meant that they were poor. Here we are in Samaria, and when the poor person cried out for help and the poor person cried out for justice, here's what they heard. The false prophet standing there telling them, what are you worried about? All is well. Everything is as it should be. God is blessing us right now. Look at how opulent this city is. The greedy and wicked rulers of the city felt safe. And exploiting the others 
for their own gain because the prophets kept telling them God was okay with it. That God was okay with what you're doing. And today people who live in open, willful, sinful lifestyles, they still seek out religious-sounding people to tell them that God is okay with their sin. But I'm here to tell you, I don't care how big, how small you may think sin is. Sin is an offense to God. The small sins I commit or the great sins I commit, they're both an offense to God. Every sin is an offense to God. And by the way, God doesn't have a list of big sins, little sins. Have y'all figured that out yet? He doesn't have a list on a point system. Where every time you commit that sin, he, you get that many demerits. Now, you, do, you can do this little stuff and God's going to be okay with it, but just don't do one of these big ones. Oh, well, you do one of those big ones, you're in trouble now. It's coming at you now. That's not the way God operates. You see, Jesus died on the cross for all sin, great and small. From the little white lie to the greatest human atrocity Jesus died for sin. And every sin is equal in the eyes of God. So that's why it's easy, if we're not careful with convenient truth, to point to those with big sins and say, now those are the ones God's got a problem with. But these little ones I'm harboring in my life, God God doesn't care about. He's okay with that. Absolutely not. He is just offended by the little sin in my life as he is by the great sin in someone else's. God is a judger of sin. That's his faithfulness. His faithfulness is to judge all sin. Great, small, doesn't matter. God will judge sin. If churches today are preaching the truth of God's word and someone were to happen to wander in and that word of truth begins to convict their life, suddenly they decide, I don't want to be a part of that church. I'll find one that will preach something a little bit more convenient for me. And then they point to the proclaimers of God's truth, and here's what they say. They're intolerant. They're bigoted. They're closed-minded. They're judgmental. That's what they are. Folks, can I tell you something? God is intolerant of sin. God is intolerant of sin, period. God is absolute in His authority that there is only one way to achieve salvation. There is only one way to have eternal life. There is only One way to escape judgment, and that is through Jesus Christ. And if that's closed-minded, and if that's judgmental, then I guess that's who God is. Because God says there is but one way to salvation, and that is through Jesus Christ. You are saved by grace through faith, and not of works. Lest any man should boast. No amount of false teaching can change truth. 
All false teaching can do is give a false sense of security. If God's word calls it a sin, it's still a sin, no matter what anyone else may say. I don't care how respected they are. I don't care how educated they are. If God's word says this is a sin, then it's a sin regardless of what anyone else may say. And let there be no confusion. God will judge all sin. Well, Tommy, where's the good news in this? I mean, man, alive. I mean, that's, I mean, that, that just sounds, you know, I'm, I'm, I came getting, to get some warm fuzzies today, and I don't have them yet. How, how do I find warm fuzzies in that? Where we find hope in this passage is that God is warning them before judgment falls. He's pointing to the faults and he's warning them, listen, beware of listening to this because they're leading you and they're guiding you and they're taking you in a direction that's going to result in judgment upon you. Don't listen to them. That's the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God is to point to the faults and say, beware of that because here is truth. And truth will, del- will liberate you. Truth will set you free. Truth will bring you salvation. Truth will bring you righteousness. Truth will bring you peace with God. Beware of the faults because they're only going to lead you to the gates of hell. Beware of those who tell you only what you want to hear because not only are they robbing you of the truth, they're robbing you of life. That's the faithfulness of God here. The faithfulness of God is to stand in the midst of, of all of this convenient truth that's making everyone feel good and affirming of their sinful life and saying to them, this is not my plan for you. I love you too much to let you march headlong in the judgment without warning. And so he's crying through the prophet Micah to repent to hear truth of God's word and not be led astray by convenient truth. I would contend it, would be, it wouldn't be very hard to find a false teacher or a false preacher somewhere today that will tell you that those things that you know in your heart are against God's will are in your life right now, it wouldn't be hard to find you a false teacher or preacher to tell you, oh, really, that's okay. And affirm your disobedience. But listen, God loves you too much. God loves you too much to let you march headlong into his judgment. That's why Jesus came to die for the sins of the world so that you wouldn't have to face the wrath against your sin. That's why Jesus came and bled and laid down his life and resurrected again on the third day in victory so that you would not have to taste the wrath of God against sin. That's how much he loves you. And today he's calling you away from that which brings you comfort in your sin and calls you to that which confronts your sin, which is the truth of God's word. So I close by just simply saying, don't be a victim of convenient truth. 
The truth is God loves you with an everlasting love. But the truth is also that he hates our sin. Yes, he loves you. Yes, there's grace. Yes, there's mercy. Yes, those things wait for you. But only when we repent of our sin and turn to God in faith, believing Jesus is the Messiah and our only hope and our only way. Today, he's calling us to repentance, to return to him. And in grace, he will receive us. In grace, he will wash us. In grace, he will forgive our sin. In grace, he will restore our fellowship with him because the Bible tells us that if we confess our sin, he is faithful to forgive us of all sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the truth. But the enemy of our souls today wants us to ignore the truth of God's word. He's whispering to hearts even right now. Listen, don't listen to that that judgmental, intolerant preacher. You're okay the way you are. You're not so bad. You're not like the other guy. You're not doing what they do. You're better than them. So don't listen to what he has to say. You're quite okay the way you are. That's the lie of the enemy. Sin is sin, and God calls all sinners to repentance. He wants, he wants to give you a real sense of security, not found in who you are, but found in who he is and what he's done for you. In just a moment, we'll stand and we'll sing. We'll have an opportunity to, to respond to what God's word has said to us today. We'll have an opportunity to be confronted by the Holy Spirit with what sin is in our life. But now the choice is ours how we're going to respond. Am I going to listen to what God says in his truth and find myself repenting, turning away from my sin? That's all repentance is. It's, it's, it's turning away from my sin, changing my mind, my attitude, my, my inclination toward that sin and turning to Jesus Christ and embracing his truth. That's what repentance is. Are we going to repent of our sin? Or are we simply going to keep searching for a convenient truth that makes us feel good about who we are? That's, how, that's what we're going to do in these next few moments. We'll stand, we'll sing. The altar is always open if you want to come and pray. If you want someone to pray with you or pray for you, I'll be up here. I'll be glad to do that with you and for you. But today's a day to turn off the voices of convenient truth and hear, thus saith the Lord God Almighty. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you that you love us too much to let us continue to march toward judgment and wrath having been fooled and deceived by a convenient truth. Lord, how I pray that we will understand that it's because you love us. It's because you are merciful and gracious, kind and good, that you call us to repentance from our sin. Lord, you tell us in your word that it's not your desire that any should perish, but that all should come to everlasting life. Lord, I pray for the one that may be in this room today, that one that may 
hear this message through the internet, Lord, who's, who's surrounded themselves with people of convenient truth so they won't have to confront and address the sin in their life. Lord, I thank you that you are faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness and forgive our sins when we come to you and we repent of our sin and we confess it to you. Lord, it is my prayer that today we will hear that truth. Lord, if we know someone in our sphere of influence that's being deceived by convenient truth, give us the courage and the faith to share with them the truth of the gospel, that they are, they are created in the image of Almighty God and that you created them to know them and to love them and for them to know you and love you. And that only through repentance and, and turning to Jesus Christ as our Savior, Messiah, and hope can we find that, that, that salvation that we so long for. Lord, help us to be proclaimers of real truth. Lord, in these next few moments, work in our hearts, work in our lives as only you can. It's our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing together.
thank you so much for being here today. God bless you. Just a reminder, make sure you pick up these two things on the way out. One's a save the date for a vacation Bible school. Gives you an opportunity to invite someone to come. And also the invitations to the new Spanish-speaking work. I hope that you'll help us distribute these and get the word out about that. Uh, good to see you here today. We're going to dismiss with a word of prayer. And I hope to see, man, it'd be great if we could fill Mifuente up like this tomorrow night. So if you want to come fellowship, you do that with us. Let's pray. Our Father God, thank you so much for the opportunity to be in this house of worship. Thank you for the truth of your word. Lord, you tell us that your truth sometimes, it's like that double-edged sword. It just, it cuts to the very core, the very marrow of the bone. It reveals truth to us, Lord, that we may not want to know or want to see about ourselves. But we thank you, Lord, that along with that, that sword that is so sharp and so cutting, that you also give us the balm of Gilead, the Holy Spirit of God, that, that leads us to that place of conviction, that place of salvation. And, Lord, we just pray that it will not fall victim to convenient truth, but that we'll let your word do its perfect work in us even when it's difficult and even when it hurts. Knowing, Lord, that in following your truth, we find hope, we find peace, we find life. Dismiss us now with your love and your grace. Bring us back at the next appointed hours, our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.